Well, I don't know about you, but I'm really excited for this sermon series, and I bet you've been thinking about it all week since I announced last week at the congregational meeting we'd be doing Ephesians. I'm sure you've read it, the letter, probably at least five times this week, or maybe not. Um, But I at least am really excited about this series because I have been thinking about it for a few months now. Um, I mentioned last week in our congregational meeting that under normal circumstances, Ephesians would not be my choice for our next sermon series. Uh, The reason for that is because just last week, we wrapped up a series on another New Testament letter, Galatians. And... um, It would normally be my practice to maybe go to the Old Testament or do something topical, but I wouldn't follow it up by uh, doing another New Testament letter. However, uh, back in May, I preached a sermon as part of our Sent series on Ephesians 4, and it, it, it actually wasn't during preparation for that sermon. It was in the moment of preaching it, I felt like the Holy Spirit was nudging me and saying to me that... The vision for the next season of City Church's life is to be found here in Ephesians. And so after that point, I started to read Ephesians a lot. I started to pray over Ephesians a lot, and then eventually began to work with the elders and key leaders to craft uh, a vision that we are excited about based on uh, the, the book of Ephesians. Now, just quick context for Ephesians. Um, Of all of Paul's letters in the New Testament, Ephesians is the least situational. And what I mean by that is it it doesn't um, speak to a specific issue, a specific controversy going on in the church in Ephesus. I mean, take Galatians, for example. Um, If you had been with us for that series, Paul was writing to address a very specific controversy in the church. Well, Ephesians is much different. It's, it's more general for that reason. Paul doesn't have the same kind of urgency that we felt in Galatians. Ephesians is a circular letter. What that means is that it was written to a network of churches, so it's more generic. And the letter speaks uh, about the role of the church, not just the, the role of the church in Ephesus, but the role of the church with a capital C. The, the, the role of the church in the world, how it fits into God's story. So in other words, Ephesians presents a really big, a really grand vision of the work of God in this world and how the church fits into that. As we go throughout Ephesians, we will see that Paul mentions being imprisoned a few times, I think maybe three. Uh, and this is usually taken to refer to his imprisonment in Rome toward the end of his life, so probably around 62 AD or so, in between 60 and 62 AD. Um, And he's writing um, to encourage these followers of Jesus in Ephesus. He's writing to encourage these churches while he himself finds himself in this predicament of being in prison. Now, we'll talk a little bit more next week about some of the historical context of the city of Ephesus and what it was like. But for now, we'll just, I'll I'll say this. Ephesus was a doorway into the world. It was an influential city. Uh, It was a place of learning and of culture. And so that just gives you a general uh, background for now to know um, the kind of city in which Ephesus was, as Paul writes to the churches there. So I want to begin this morning by looking at verses 1 through 14. 
Uh, and this is incredible start to this letter. Uh, very quickly, the Apostle Paul uh, takes us into the grand story of God and gives us a bird's eye perspective, a bird's eye view of what God's story is all about. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to the saints who are in Ephesus and are faithful in Christ Jesus, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace, with which he has blessed us in the beloved. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who are the first to hope in Christ Jesus might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we thank you for your deep love for us. We thank you for how your love is expressed through your word. You did not want to leave us in the dark, but you chose to reveal yourself to us. You chose to reveal your story. And more than that, you chose to invite us into the story and give us a role to play. We pray that during our time in your word this morning that you would do that, that you would draw us into your story, that we might see you that we might be drawn to worship you, and that we might be uh, encouraged and motivated to increasingly give our lives to your story. You know where we are this morning. You know our hearts, our minds. Uh, we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would search us, that you would come and seek after us, uh, whether we find ourselves believing, disbelieving, or unsure of what we believe in this moment. Bring the word, bring the gospel, the good news of Jesus to bear on our lives. We pray for his glory. Amen. Christina Cook is uh, an astronaut who is currently on board the International Space Station. Maybe you know about this. Uh, I feel like this is a big deal. I should have known about it, but uh, I only found out about it because I was uh, Googling certain themes looking for an uh, opening illustration for this sermon. So uh, this is what you get out of that Google search, but this is pretty remarkable that we uh, currently have astronauts up in space and who have been there for months. Um, but Christina uh, Cook, just yesterday, I believe it was, so this story was really fresh. Um, you're getting a fresh illustration. Uh, I think it was just yesterday that she posted some pretty stunning photos of unique views of our planet. 
These are obviously views that the normal person uh, does not normally have the chance to see. We're used to obviously seeing photos of the earth from the ground, but these photos that she's provided for us give us a unique bird's eye view of the earth. Well, the Apostle Paul has done something similar for us here in Ephesians 1, uh, 1 through 14. He provides us with a bigger, a larger perspective, a grander perspective that we could not have unless he provided it for us here in Scripture. We get a bird's eye view of God's story. And so that's how I want you to think about this uh, as we approach this passage together. Paul here at the beginning of the letter to the Ephesians basically lays out the story of God. He rehearses the story of God. And incredibly, he reminds the Ephesians and us today of our place, of our role in the story, because that's a valid question, isn't it, as we come to the passage this morning. You know, if you have been around the church for any period of time, you have grown accustomed to hearing things like, God has a plan, he has a plan for the world, he has a plan for your life. Even if you um, are not that familiar with the church, you have heard these kinds of things as well. And so we are, to some degree, used to hearing about this theme, this idea that God has a grand story, that he has a cosmic plan. But how does that impact us? Do we have a place in that story? Do we belong? Well, Paul presents God as both the author and main actor of this story, but he also reveals for us that we have been woven into the story. And we're going to look at two different aspects of of this, of um, what it means for us that we have been woven into the story. And we're going to look at first what it means for our identity and then for our purpose. So let's think about um, our identity together in light of the fact that we have been woven into the story of God. Paul begins in verse 3. So verses 1 through 2, we have a, a typical uh, a standard greeting um, that you would have found in a letter in, back in the Greco-Roman world. Um, there's a lot there, but we only have so much time. And if you look at verses 3 through 14, there's a whole lot there. So we're going to spend our, our time really in these verses. Um, but in verse 3, Paul begins, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Now, that's a whole lot of blessing going on, isn't it? Um, we get some form of the word blessed three times in that brief um, passage that I just read. And we're actually going to come back to this next week um, and talk about the significance of the word bless here in Ephesians and how it connects back to even the Old Testament of the Bible, uh, especially even the first book. But for now, um, I, I want to ask this question. When Paul says that we have been blessed in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, what does that mean? This is one of those statements in the Bible that, you know, I've read countless times, um, very familiar with it. But what does it mean? What does Paul mean that we have been blessed with, keyword, every? He's saying that we are not lacking anything in Christ, that we've been given all of it. We've been given the fullness of Christ. We've been given everything that we need. 
Well, he actually unpacks what he means by that in the remainder of the passage. And verses 3 through 14, it's it's incredible. Uh, This is in the original language of the Greek. Get this, it's one sentence. It's one sentence in the original Greek. There's no punctuation. 202-word sentence in Greek. This isn't by coincidence. Paul didn't... um, forget to go back and add the punctuation before he commissioned the letter to be sent off uh, to the churches of Ephesus. Um, It's the longest verse in the Greek New Testament. Uh, It includes exalted language. It reads like a poem. This is all intentional by the Apostle Paul. Think of it this way. It's as though Paul started to write this. You know, he begins with that first line, We've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. And then he's going to unpack that, and he just can't stop. He can't stop. And to add punctuation to pause would just interrupt the flow of all of this blessing that we have in Christ. I want to point out something else um, here in these verses. This is a Trinitarian story. Whoa, what is that? where did that come from? What does that word mean, Trinitarian? Well, um, we as Christians coming out of the, uh, from the Christian tradition, we refer to God as Trinity. Um, he's one God in three persons. We refer to him as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, um, I say this every time that I talk about the Trinity. Uh, I can't, I wish so much that I could put up a diagram for you and explain in detail what it means and how this works, but I, I can't do that for you. But, but I always say this, that that's actually good news, because what it indicates for us is that um, God has certainly revealed himself. He's disclosed much of himself to us, all that we need to know to understand his story and to live in light of it. But God is bigger than we could ever imagine. And the fact that we can't explain every little detail about the nature of God is comforting to me because it reminds me of the fact that, yes, I actually want God to be bigger than me. I don't want to be able to explain everything about him because he's meant to be different from me. He's meant to be worthy of our worship. But we get this Trinitarian activity, person, a hood of God here in this passage We learn that the Father chooses us, the Son redeems us, and the Holy Spirit keeps us. This beautiful interaction of the the, the persons of God, of the Trinity. And right off the bat, what we learn about God from this is that God is inherently relational. He's social. He's communal. This is amazing. God is communal even within himself. And so as we think about the fact that, as the Bible tells us, people are made in God's image, one of the, the starting points that we have to recognize is that we too must, it must mean that we are relational, communal, social beings as well, and the book of Ephesians is all about that. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit all have a role to play in this beautiful, grand story of God's redemption in the world. There's a specific phrase that comes up time and time again throughout this letter. Uh, In fact, it appears even just in these verses 11 times. And that phrase is just two words, in Christ or in him, something along those lines. 
what Paul is intending to capture with this repeated phrase of in Christ or in him is that as those who have expressed our faith in Jesus and become God's people, we are in Christ in a somewhat mysterious way, but not in a mysterious way that we don't understand all, uh, anything about it because Paul is unpacking it here for us. But what it means most of all is that we share in the very life of Christ. There's a phrase that theologians use, uh, and that phrase is union in Christ, union with Christ. That's really what is meant by this, that in a mysterious way, as those who are the people of Jesus, we are in union with him. We are attached to him. We are connected to him. We participate in his very life to the extent that what Jesus accomplished is true for us. It's applied to us. As I often say here at City Church, the record and reputation of Jesus becomes our own through union with him. Now, something else here. This is an important point for us to take in here as we go throughout this letter. We have to retrain ourselves in how to read Scripture. Why do I say that? Well, we are so accustomed to reading the Bible through an individualistic lens. We read it through an individualistic lens. And I mean, it makes sense, right? Um, because without being aware of it, without, uh, being recogni- without recognizing and trying to read differently, that is going to be our default. Because we live in a highly individualistic culture. We live in a culture in which it's all about me, it's all about I. But as we come to Scripture, that way of thinking and that way of going through life is very foreign to the world of the Bible. We have to begin to read it through a communal lens. Notice this. Blessed us, chose us, that we should be. He predestined us. In him we have redemption, forgiveness of our trespasses. He lavished upon us, making known to us the mystery of his will. In him we have obtained inheritance, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ. There is a communal orientation to this passage. Now, that does not negate the personal stories of these people. It does not uh, negate or erase our personal stories. Everything that Paul says here in this passage applies to an individual for sure, but we have to realize that Paul's uh, first orientation is a communal lens. He's thinking of the church here, and yes, he's thinking of the church in Ephesus in particular, but he's also thinking of the church in general with a big C. Togetherness is an important theme throughout Ephesians. We're going to come back to this time and time again. Togetherness, togetherness. We're going to, we're going to hear that word um, multiple times, probably 10 to 15 times at least throughout this letter, together, together, together. And I want to put our mission statement up on the screen for you. Um, it's our new mission statement. And we say it this way, that we equip people who have diverse stories and backgrounds to embody God's story, what's the next word? 
together in the everyday stuff of life. Now, we'll be saying much about that statement throughout the series, but I want to focus in on that word together. That was an intentional choice. We talked about, should we include that word or not? Does it just make it too wordy? And the final decision was that, no, this is an important word because we don't just simply embody God's story as individuals. We embody God's story together as a community, as a family. And that is rooted here in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Now, let's just look at some of these things that Paul says about our identity, about who we are in light of the fact that we've been woven into God's story. We are chosen. Paul says in verse 4 that we were chosen in him, that's Jesus, before the foundation of the world. Verse 5, he predestined us for adoption. Now, some of you, it's possible, as you hear me read these verses, are cringing already. You're like, oh, there we have it. This teaching, this doctrine of the Bible, election, predestination, about God choosing. But here's what I want to say to you this morning. Paul does not include this in Ephesians 1 for fodder for argument or theological debate. That's not Paul's point. Paul's point is that we are supposed to just simply take in the fact that as followers of Jesus, we have been chosen. And so I want to encourage you with that, to just try to get beyond possibly your your initial reaction to to this, your, your natural inclination, and to go into philosophy and wonder about what this means and how it could be. Just simply revel in the fact, brother or sister, that you have been chosen by God. It's what we all want, isn't it? It's what we all want deep down inside in life. We so desperately want to be chosen, whether it's the early days of school and we're out for recess and we're the last one to be picked for kickball or whatever it might be. You know, that's just one example and that's a somewhat small example. But deep down inside in life, we want to be chosen. We want to belong. And this is what we're being told here. We're being told you belong. Despite all of the reasons you're coming up with for disqualifying yourself, uh, you're thinking of your, your sin and all of your flaws and the wrongdoing you've done toward God and others, the way that you've damaged life around you. You're, you're thinking of all these reasons why you can't and you don't belong, but God is saying to you, I've woven you into my story through your faith in Jesus. You're in him and therefore you belong. I have chosen you in love. I don't know what to do with that. I can't, in my own personal life, you know, I've been soaking this truth in for decades now. And I don't still don't know what to do with it. I, there's a sense in which I'm uncomfortable with it. I'm uncomfortable being chosen and loved, knowing all that I know about myself and my own personal story. But God knows all that and says, I I, I know, I know, I know. I chose you in love. 
you belong. Now, I realize, I'm not naive, there's the other side of this. What about those that maybe have not been chosen? Well, we're going to come back to that uh, in the second point. Um, and I'm going to speak to that a little bit. I'm not going to resolve the tension for you. If I were able to do that, I'd probably be teaching around the world. Um, everybody would be reading my theology books, and that's obviously not the case. But let me just say this. So that, that, that applies to us. Everything, I was just applying it individually, but it also applies communally, together. And this is a beautiful truth. As we make up City Church together, God has chosen us in this time, in this place. He's chosen for us to be together in life. You know, maybe you think about that job that you didn't take in another city or um, the decisions uh, over the last few years that led you to this place at this time. None of that was coincidental. As we learn here in Ephesians, God is working behind the scenes. He's weaving together a beautiful, incredible tapestry. And we don't just simply make up a city church as a collection of people. God is, has and is weaving us together. He has chosen us together to be his people in the city of Wilmington and this region for this time. For what purpose? Well, we're going to talk about purpose in a moment, but look at verse 6. To the praise of his glorious grace. Verse 12, to the praise of his glory. Verse 14, to the praise of his glory. Verse, I have five here, but I don't know why I'm going out of order here. Uh, they're just speaking to God's will. Okay. Verse 5, according to the purpose of his will. Verse 9, the mystery of his will. Verse 9, works all things according to the counsel of his will. So one, two, three, one, two, three passages about verses here about God's glory, and then three about his will. Here's something that on the one hand is liberating, but on the other hand is difficult to accept. The story is not about you. It is, but it isn't. The story is not about me. The story is about God. And that's what Paul presents us with at the very beginning. The very beginning of this story. If we're going to understand the story of God well, we have to begin with God, that this is his story. The story is about him. The story is for him. And that is meant to compel us to worship him. Because there is now the follow-up to that. That despite the fact that it is for him and for his glory, he has woven us into it. He's given us a part to play. He's given us a place of belonging in the story. So the Father chooses us. The Son redeems us. Verse 7, in him we have redemption through his blood. This is imagery going back to the Old Testament, the uh, sacrificing of animals, the shedding of blood, um, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of the will, of, of his will. So the Father chooses us in love. The Son, in time, 
redeems us through his work on the cross. And then if you go down to verse 11, in him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. And then later in verse 13, the last part of verse 13, you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. Trinitarian work, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Father chooses us, the Son redeems us, and the, uh, the Holy Spirit keeps us. Last week in our congregational meeting, uh, I mentioned the very exciting news that we have hired uh, a new assistant pastor, uh, Israel Ruiz, who will serve as our church planning resident over the next two years. Uh, a few weeks ago, maybe about a month ago now, I don't remember exactly, uh, Israel, his wife Marietta, and their two children, Antonio and Leslie, were in town for the weekend because we were actually formally interviewing Israel. Um, and uh, on the Saturday of that weekend, uh, we went out for lunch together, myself and the Ruiz family. And we, uh, we went to a Peruvian restaurant. Now, Israel is uh, from Peru, so that's a helpful detail uh, for the sake of this story. Um, so you can imagine that he was pretty excited to try uh, Peru Peruvian food here in uh, Delaware. So we go to the restaurant, we order our food, we sit down to eat, and I noticed that uh, Marietta, uh, who's sitting across from Israel, her eyes get really big. And she says, Israel, look, they have the sauces. Now, there were names to them. I can't begin to pronounce them for you now. So she didn't say the sauces. Uh, she uh, called them by their name. And Israel jumped up and went over to where the condiments were and poured each of these sauces and brought them back and proceeded to tell me what these sauces were. So I figured this is a big deal. Uh, I'm going to get up and I'm going to go pour these sauces for myself as well, which I did. But then I came back and before we eat, ate, Israel prayed. It was such a beautiful prayer. He prayed he, he, something along the lines of, God, I thank you for little tastes of home. For little tastes of home. I thought that was so cool. He was, so, he was overly excited about this, this little taste of home for him, of his culture, that as he, he's living in a place in which he was not born, that in some ways is still unfamiliar to him, he got, through God's generosity, God's kindness, a little taste of home. Well, that's something of the, the function of the Holy Spirit in our lives. As the Holy Spirit keeps us in God's story, keeps us in Christ, the Holy Spirit, the, the regular activity of the Holy Spirit is to give us little tastes of home, to remind us of the fact that we do have belonging in God's story. That, that God's story is our true home. It's our true story, not the lesser stories that we give ourselves to, that the culture around us tells and lives by. But no, God's story is our true home. It's the story that provides our true and real identity for us. And that's how this passage, the Holy Spirit's using it to function in our lives. We're being reminded of the story of God what is true, God's cosmic plan and how we have a place of belonging in it. And despite all of our reasons for believing that that can't be true, we're given little tastes of home to remind us that it is in fact true. All right, let's talk now about purpose. So we've talked about how we have this new identity 
as we've been woven into God's story. But now let's talk about the purpose of being woven into God's story. And we actually have already touched on the most important purpose. That is that our lives might reflect glory to God. Uh, It's this reality that our stories are not meant to simply point to our own stories. They're meant to point to a story outside of us, a story bigger than us. That's really what it means to live for God's glory. Now, I want you to look at verse um, 9. We'll start with verse uh, 8, actually. It talks about which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will. The mystery of his will. There's so many mysteries in life, aren't there? So many mysteries, so many things that we don't have answers to, that we desperately want answers to, um, so many things that confuse us, uh, and then particularly within the realm of faith, so many issues that kind of, because we don't fully understand it, sometimes hinder us in our relationship with God. We doubt and we, we can't believe um, sometimes the way that we would like to. Well, this word mystery, I mean, it means pretty much what you would think that it means. It refers to something that is hidden. But what Paul is saying here is that what was once hidden is now being brought out into the open. It's being revealed. It's being disclosed. So think about this. We are being given access into the story of God. That question, what is life all about? What is the purpose of my life? What is the purpose of existence? Paul's basically saying the mystery's been unlocked. Jesus, the main actor, character of the story, has unlocked it, and here it is. Verse 10, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Now, this assumes something. This assumes that something has gone wrong in the world. It assumes a fall, a a word that we use to describe the fact that human beings have fallen from relationship with God. And the Bible tells us that uh, because of that, uh, sin and disorder and brokenness um, and fragmentation has crept into every area of life. And so life is no longer the way that God intended it for be, to, to be. Now, here's one of those hard theological questions. Why did God allow that to happen? Now, especially with this one, if I was able to answer that for you, I would be traveling the world, uh, speaking at uh, seminaries and that kind of thing. And again, I'm obviously not. I don't have an answer for that question. And I don't want to minimize the question. Um, just this past week, uh, it was Monday night, uh, I, after dinner, um, looked at Facebook on my phone, and I um, saw that there were a number of neighbors who had begun posting that there was a shooting in the neighborhood. And as I began to process, connect the dots, I realized that the shooting uh, took place at the Cool Spring Park, right outside the doors of our church building. Uh, it was a fatal shooting. Um, our city is hurting. Uh, I mean, it's been hurting, but in recent weeks, it's been hurting even more. Uh, 
There have been a rash of shootings, um, all connected, and um, the particular context for this shooting was that there had been a group of people, maybe 50 people, that had gathered together um, after a funeral for a person who had been shot on Friday, and they were sharing a meal together um, as part of the grieving process when um, somebody came up and shot somebody in the crowd. Why do these things happen? I mean, that's what I was wondering Monday night. It's what I was wondering when I woke up Tuesday morning. Why? What's the point? Why do these things happen? I don't know. I don't know. Can't tell you that. I don't know why God allows these specific tragedies to happen. And we need to sit with that tension. It's part of faith. We need to sit with that tension and wrestle with it. It's part of the nature of faith. Uh, you know, faith is, is hard. I mean, faith is so hard that we couldn't have faith on our own. Ephesians later on is going to tell us that God actually has to give us the faith to believe because it's so hard to believe. The life of faith is hard. And there are questions that we can't just skip over. So if you are here this morning and you wrestle with some of these deep questions, and maybe your experience with the church and Christianity is that you've always felt like you've been given superficial answers. You feel as though, actually, they're not even listening to my question. They're just writing it off and giving me sentimental answers. I don't want to do that. The life of faith is hard, and there's much that we can't understand. But here's what I know from Ephesians 1 and about the story of God that he is writing in this world. And it's his heart, his intention. I, I don't know all the reasons why he has allowed fragmentation and disorder and brokenness to come into the world through sin, but I do know how he feels about it. I know what his heart is, what his intent is, and it is to unite all things in Jesus, things in heaven and things on earth. Things in heaven, things on earth, that's shorthand in the Bible for everything. Everything that has been disrupted, everything that has been fragmented, everything that has been broken because of the fall, God's intent, his heart, his plan is to restore and renew it all specifically in the work and person of Jesus Christ. That is God's intent. It's his heart. And so whatever the reasons why God allows some of this stuff to happen in the world, it can't be because he doesn't love us. Because the follow-up to his intent on what he intends to do about it is a demonstration of love. That's what I can say. I can say that much based on Scripture and this passage here in Ephesians. But remember, we have been woven into the story. At the heart of the story is God's activity to unite all that has been disordered and fragmented in Christ. What this means is that that defines our purpose as well. So we have this uh, unbelievable new identity that we've been given in Jesus. But in Jesus, we also have this new purpose. And guess what it is? To participate with him in the renewal of all things. Now, this has always been important to the vision of City Church. And it remains to be uh, true. 
that we embody God's story in the everyday stuff of life. And really what we mean by that is that we are called by God to be reconcilers, that we are called by God to go into every area of life and live out the truth that Jesus is at work uniting all things in himself. Now, on the one hand, you might say, well, what does that even mean? That seems vague. It's invisible. I can't always see it. Well, he gives us reminders, those tastes of home. Our togetherness is one of them, how we manage to live together um, without uh, just simply wanting to run away from each other. You know how I always say community's hard, but by God's grace, he helps us to stick together. But if you have that kind of thought that this is, this is vague, what does it look like? Well, the good news is that Paul is going to unpack it in the rest of this letter. And it basically comes down to this, the church, the church. The church has a central place in the story of God. How is it that the world is going to see that Jesus is at work making all things new? It's through the life of the church. It's through their life together internally, but then also how they care for the people, places, and things around them. This gives our lives significance and purpose. No matter what stage of life you're in, no matter um, what you think about your own gifts and passions, you know, a, a question that you could ask yourself is this. Given your current stage in life, current, given where God has placed you, so whether it be um, in school, whether it be in the home, whether it be in the neighborhood, whatever specific job you might have, you know, you could keep filling this in. Look around you and ask this question. Where is sin or how is sin specifically showing up? How is disorder and brokenness and fragmentation uh, showing up in these places or these arenas that God has placed me? And then begin to reflect on a, a second question. What might it look like for me to follow Jesus in specific ways to play a part in bringing healing, in bringing order, in bringing reconciliation and redemption to these uh, areas that you've identified? You, like the church, together, we have a role to play in the story, but you too, in your own personal story, you uh, have a part to play in this grand design, this grand plan of God's to unite all things in heaven on earth through in Christ. Have you ever seen a tapestry? Well, if you have, you might know this. Uh, the back side of a tapestry is very different than the front side. The back side of a tapestry is nothing more than a jumbled thread. Uh, it looks tangled, frayed. Uh, occasionally even knotted, and it seems random. Seems like it wouldn't uh, work together to create any kind of beautiful pattern. Nothing about it necessarily makes sense. But when you turn a tapestry over, you see the work of art. You see what is intended. You see the rich colors, the texture. You see the patterns that work together to create something beautiful. This is what is happening for us in the letter to the Ephesians. It's what's happening for us specifically in this passage 
of Scripture as God presents us with the big picture view of what he's up to in the world. Have you ever heard of Corey Ten Boom? Uh, Corey Ten Boom was a Dutch Christian. She was a follower of Jesus who, along with her, follower, her father and other members of her family, uh, helped Jews escape uh, the Nazi Holocaust during World War II. And then she herself actually was imprisoned in one of the concentra- concentration camps and eventually was released. Um, but a story is told uh, about how um, after this period of time in her life, um, she would travel around and somebody tells the story about how Corey Tenboom was once visiting them in their home uh, along with their children. And it, um, it goes like this, dinner was over and the cleanup was underway. Having guests for dinner was a very commonplace occurrence in our household on the island of Bonaire in the Caribbean. But on this night, our four children quickly recognized that this was no ordinary visitor. She insisted the kids call her Auntie Cory. After excusing herself to the living room, she sat in an old wooden rocker, opened, opened a large purse, and pulled out a purple piece of cloth. Corey Tenboom invited the children to sit at her feet and proceeded to talk about life, her life, and the challenges she and her family faced during World War II in a German-occupied town of Harlem in the Netherlands. As she spoke, she slowly unfolded the purple cloth in her hands and revealed hundreds of strings, tied in knots, pulled through the cloth. It all looked so random. She showed the children how the strings didn't seem to make sense from where they sat at her feet on the floor of the living room. That's the whole point, she exclaimed. She said it was because of our limited vision, our limited perspective of what God is doing in our lives that we question him. At that point, she slowly turned the purple tangled mess around to reveal a beautiful tapestry, a crown of gold with multicolored jewels. This, she said, is what God sees from his perspective, a masterpiece. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we are so grateful for your story. We are so grateful that you have revealed it to us. And we thank you for this new identity and this new purpose that you have given us. Give us the faith to believe that this story is better than the stories that our world tells I pray that we would be motivated to worship you above all else in light of what you have done for us in weaving us together in your story. We thank you, we praise you, we adore you, we worship you for giving us a place of belonging through Jesus. It's in his name we pray, amen.